was Babe Ruth, Grandpa? Who was Lou Gehrig? When will I be big enough to go to a game? Tell me about Feller and Ty Cobb and Johnson and that man Alexander. Now, what was his name? Hi there. This is the Baseball Lifer Podcast. This is Don Wardlow, Baseball Lifer in Residence. And that line in my song, Who Was Babe Ruth, Grandpa, is a good way to open up this episode because I'm going to talk to you about Babe Ruth and I'm going to play a couple of very special items. A record from 1927 made by Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And one is a piece recorded by Yankees broadcaster Mel Allen after Babe Ruth died in 1948. How do you how do you answer the question who was Babe Ruth? He was Elvis before Elvis was born. He was the Beatles before they were born. He was the first superstar. The word superstar hadn't even been coined yet. And he became the first one. The things he did in baseball stacked up against the players that he faced in his time were mythic accomplishments. They just don't sound real, even though they were. Because of that, it's become very easy for myth and reality to blend if someone wants to talk about Babe Ruth. There have been three exceptional books written about him. One by Robert W. Kramer, one by Lee Montville, and the latest of them by Jane Levy. All three of those are absolutely terrific books. All three authors said in the openings to their books how they had to dig through fact and fiction and try to separate which was which because the greatness of Babe Ruth made it difficult to separate the reality from the myth. The reason I'm doing this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast at this time, because he was born on February 6th, 1895, in Baltimore, Maryland. Babe Ruth's given name was George Herman Ruth. When he broke into the game, he wasn't the only one named Babe. There was a pitcher named Babe Adams with the Pittsburgh Pirates at that time. But what Babe Ruth would do would change the nature of baseball forever. Before he started hitting home runs, baseball was a very tightly played game. They called it inside baseball. Shall we say a, a single to start a rally, then a sacrifice bunt? move over to third on a ground out, and maybe steal home. The home run was an afterthought before Babe Ruth. And you know, if it wasn't for World War I, he might never have become an outfielder and a home run hitting star. He was a pitcher early on, and before he gave up pitching, he had a 94 and 46 record and a 228 ERA and most of that pitching was done from when he broke in in 1914 
until 1918 when he converted to an outfielder because his team was ravaged by the draft, players going into the service, and they needed an outfielder. They needed somebody who could hit the ball, and Ruth filled the bill. Before he was done, he would hit 714 home runs. He would hold a record that would stand from 1935 until Henry Aaron broke it in 1974. He would hold the single-season record of 60 home runs from 1927 until Roger Maris broke that record in 1961. And in the American League, that record would stand until 2022 when Aaron Judge broke it by hitting number 62. So the record went from Yankee Babe Ruth to Yankee Roger Maris to Yankee Aaron Judge. When Babe Ruth went to the Yankees and started hitting home runs in earnest, the excitement he generated, the numbers of fans he drew out to the ballpark, and the love that he created for baseball caused new stadiums to be built larger and existing stadiums to be expanded so the fans could get into the ballparks. When he went to the Yankees, they still played in the polo grounds, and that old ballpark, even then, only had a capacity of 34,000. The ballpark was expanded to 55,000, which is how many it would hold for the rest of its existence. And then when Yankee Stadium was built, it was built to hold over 60,000. And before overcrowding laws came into being, sometimes 70,000 were shoehorned into Yankee Stadium for the World Series and for other major important games on the schedule. When you think about Babe Ruth, you think about him winning World Series for the Yankees. The fact of the matter is he won three World Series with Boston and just four with the Yankees. In Boston, he was a winner in 1915, 1916, and 1918. And in 1916, he pitched a 14-inning complete game to beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 2-1 to one in what would be the longest World Series game for almost a century. It would take until 2005 for there to be a 14-inning World Series game again, and that would be the White Sox against the Astros. The first time Babe Ruth hit double-digit home runs was in 1918, when he hit 11. The year after that, he broke every record in existence up to that point by hitting 29. Some Boston journalist at the time said that having hit 29, that Babe would settle down and start hitting singles and doubles and triples instead of focusing on home runs. Well, he focused on home runs and still got more than his share of singles, doubles, and triples. He had over 2,800 base hits before his career was done. And when you think about that, he was pitching 
the first four full years of his career before he started hitting in earnest. After the trade over to New York, he hit 54 home runs in 1920 and 59 the year after that. And he would take another six years to hit 60, a record that would stand until 1961. The Yankees didn't win the World Series in either 1921 or 22. They lost to the Giants both times around. And the Giants manager, John McGraw, never was a fan of Babe Ruth and his home run hitting. He once said of Ruth that he would hit into 100 double plays in one particular season. From one story I've read about him that after McGraw said that, Every time Ruth hit a home run off of one of McGraw's pitchers, he would wave at McGraw and say, hey, Mac, how's that for a double play ball? The Yankees won the 1923 World Series. And they won the series again in 1927 and 1928. Those two, they won in four straight. The legend is that the, the Yankees hitting scared the Pirates out of the 1927 World Series just by watching them in batting practice. The reality is the Pirates didn't watch the Yankees in batting practice, and the Yankees only hit a couple of home runs in that four-game sweep over the Pirates in 1927. In just a minute, I'm going to let you hear a recording that was made after that 1927 World Series was done. It was a 78 RPM record, and it was called Babe and Lou, the Baseball Twins. It was Babe Ruth, Yankee outfielder, and first baseman Lou Gehrig. The Bambino and the Iron Horse in that day of great nicknames. So stand by, you'll be able to hear Babe and Lou, the home run twins. Hello, Babe. Hello. You know me, don't you, Babe? I can't place your face, but your shadow is very familiar. I'm Lou Gehrig. Now, do you remember me? Remember you? After the past summer, I'll never forget you. It's funny you didn't recognize me right away. I played on the same team with you all season. Yes, but you were so close to me, I was afraid to look back to see who you were. I gave you a great race, didn't I, Babe? Boy, you ran me raggy. Listen, Lou... How did you get this second home run? It was like this. I watched you and read how much money you were getting. And I got to thinking. Thinking? With what? Never mind about with what. I went to college. Columbia, in fact. You've heard of Columbia, haven't you? Sure, that's the college entirely surrounded with delicatessen stores and Yankee Scouts. How many years did you go to college? I was seven years in the freshman class. They can't keep a guy seven years in the same class. That's what I tried to tell them. What good did college do you? I didn't go to college, and look at me. I got further than you did. I know, but only six or seven home runs further. I'm young yet. Give me a chance. Say, babe, no fooling. You were my hero when I was in college. How did you happen to pick on me? Oh, you shouldn't be sore, babe. There's room for both of us in baseball. Tell that to the enemy pitchers. Do you remember when I first reported to the Yanks, babe? (laughs) Do I? You were so green, the groundkeeper tried to go over you with a rake. I was just a raw student. I don't know anything about the student part of it, but I'll tell the world that you were raw. As a matter of fact, the first day you reported, I didn't see your face at all. I couldn't keep my eyes off your feet. What was the matter with my feet? They were so big, I thought I was standing on a couple of Chinatown buses. 
Is there any truth in the story that you sell old shoes for bungalows? Never mind my feet. I don't mind them if you don't. You're no Apollo Belvedere yourself. Know who? Apollo Belvedere. You know who Apollo Belvedere was, don't you, babe? He's one of those new Washington pitchers, ain't he? Gee, but you're dumb, babe. Hey, listen, Big Feet. Don't you call anybody dumb. When you first joined the Yanks, you were so dumb, we had to put numbers on the players to let you know which side you played on. Gee, was I that bad? Lou, I don't want to be hard on you. You're a good kid, and I like you. But you were so dumb, you thought the St. Louis Cardinals were appointed by the church. I'll never forget the day Huggins told you you were to meet the senators, and you said it would be a great treat that you were always interested in national politics and even thought inside baseball was played in the house. You ain't so smart either. Say, babe, tell me something. Is it true that you eat 20 hot dogs during a ball game? That's one of those fool lies. Why, 20 hot dogs during a game would kill any man. I know it. A man would have to be a pig to eat 20 hot dogs during one ball game. Of course he would. Well, you didn't really believe that of me, did you, Lou? Of course not. How many do you eat during a game, babe? Nineteen. Hey, babe, you've taken off a lot of weight in the past few years. Look at my figure, kid. All you've got to do now is to diet 10 or 15 more years and you'll almost look human. Boy, I'm careful of what I eat these days. Listen, babe, you have a farm where you grow your own food, don't you? Yes, I have a farm. Is it a nice farm? Well, it better be or I'm out a lot of money. What do you raise there? Lots of things. Celery, for instance. Really? You raise celery? Of course. Why the surprise? I thought Colonel Rupert was the fellow that always raised your celery. I didn't say celery. I said celery. You know what celery is, don't you? Sure I do. I had a roommate once who used to keep me awake all night, eating it in bed. You win the China automobile. Say, babe, speaking of automobiles, what's the matter with you lately? You haven't hit anybody with your automobile. It's getting harder and harder. There are too many motorists around here after the same jaywalkers these days. I haven't read of your being arrested for speeding lately, either. I found a way to avoid that. How? When a policeman stops me, I autograph the car and give it to him as a souvenir. Gee, it must be great to get a half million dollars a year like you do. Money isn't everything, Lou. That's what Colonel Rupert said when I asked him for a raise. In this game, Lou, you must start from the bottom and work up. Say, babe, why did you start your baseball life as a pitcher? In those days, I thought a man should work for a living. Gee, what a great year the Yanks had this season. Not so good. What do you mean, not so good? We lost a couple of games, didn't we? Yeah, I guess I wasn't hitting. I've got to practice up this winter and bat better. If you bat any better next season, I'll put nails in your breakfast food. Listen, Lou, did it ever occur to you that you're getting a great break batting after me? How come? A pitcher is under a great strain when pitching to me. After I sack a home run, he's easy for you guys. Is that so? And how about the effect on a pitcher when you've nearly broken your back, swinging like a gate and struck out by a mile? He ain't so nervous facing the fellas who come up after you then, is he? Even then, even when I strike out, I do it so hard that I scare the pitcher to death. No matter how you cut that stuff, it's still baloney. Why, as a matter of fact, you get the break. How? When you go to the bat, the pitcher always knows that I'm up next. What's the result? He's so nervous, he puts one right where anybody could knock it out of the lot. Now I'll tell one. All joking aside, babe, what's the secret of home run hitting? How do you stand when you hit the ball? I stood flat on both feet until I met you. And now what? You've got me on my toes. Well, I'm going to keep you there, too. Hey, kid, lay off that big mouth stuff. I didn't mean anything personal, babe. Okay, Lou. I've got to be beating it along now. So do I. You know, we've been talking for the phonograph. 
You don't suppose you've broken the record, do you? Between the two of us, we've broken all kinds of records. Say goodbye to the folks. Goodbye. See you all next season. How will they know you when they see you? Well, they'll know you, won't they? Of course they'll know me. Well, wherever they see you, they'll know I'm the guy that's right on your heels. So So long, long, folks. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Don Wardlow, that was Babe and Lou, the baseball twins, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth set a lot of baseball records. That's one baseball record. If you had it in your hand, you'd probably want to throw it up against the wall. That record didn't sell very well. Even in the roaring 20s in 1927, when it was recorded, it wasn't a sales success. One thing I should say about that record, the home run race they were talking about, Babe Ruth won it with 60 home runs. Lou Gehrig had 46. It was a lot closer than that until the beginning of September. The Babe had 43 home runs as the month of September began. But that month, he went nuts. He went wild, as the expression might have been back then. Now you'd say he went ballistic. He hit 17 home runs in the month of September. That just doesn't happen. There were only two hitters that have hit more than 17 home runs in a month. One was Rudy York, 10 years after the Bambino. Rudy hit 18 in 1937. Another man would not hit 18 home runs in a month until 2017, 80 years later. And that was Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees. Before we play the recording of Mel Allen talking about the Bambino on the Baseball Lifer podcast, I'm going to share a few Babe Ruth stories that have always been favorites of mine. Whether they're true, whether they're false, they're great stories. One was the story of Johnny Sylvester. Johnny Sylvester was a little kid who was ailing in Essex Fells, New Jersey, And the Bambino was summoned to his bedside. And this was right before one of the World Series against the Cardinals. I believe it was 1926. And the Bambino was summoned. And he did what we would now call a meet and greet for the child. And he said he'd hit him a home run. He didn't just hit him a home run. He hit three home runs in the next game of that World Series against the Cardinals. Johnny Sylvester recovered from his ailment, whatever it may have been. That's been lost down the years. But the next year, before one of the Yankee games, a gentleman came up to the Bambino and said, Mr. Ruth, I'm Johnny Sylvester's uncle, and I just wanted to tell you he's doing great. So the Bambino shook the gentleman's hand and he said, well, that's great. Just give him my best. And when the man was safely out of range, Ruth turned to his team in general who were standing around and he said, now who the hell is Johnny Sylvester? Then there's the stories of Babe Ruth's called shot. Now, the most famous called shot was in 1932 And video has come out that pretty much debunks that called shot. But there's definitely one I've read about, which I've always thought was a great story, even if it didn't quite happen that way. Ford Frick, 
would later become commissioner of baseball. But in the 1920s and early 30s, he was one of Babe Ruth's ghostwriters. So before a game at Yankee Stadium, Ford Frick's dad was brought into the ballpark. And the game was getting long, and it looked to the Babe like Mr. Frick was yawning. Maybe maybe he'd had enough of the afternoon. And he never used anyone's name. If it was an older person, he'd call him Pop. So he went over to Mr. Frick the Elder and said, Pop, I'll take care of this game for you, and you can go home. And don't you know, he hit one the next inning, and that was the end of the game. And Frick, the the elder, told his son that he believed Bambino could hit home runs anytime he wanted. And the last story involves Mark Roth, who was the traveling secretary for the Yankees for a great many years. He was the man that Lou Gehrig would later go to when it was time for him to stop playing his streak of 2,130 games. He would go to Mark Roth and tell him he couldn't do it. Mark Roth was traveling secretary for the Yankees, and the Yankees were in the midst of an extra inning game, and Babe Ruth was in the on-deck circle, and he saw Mark Roth in his box seat acting, acting clearly agitated, And he looked over and said, what's the matter? And Mark Roth said, well, this game is going extra innings and the railroad people don't want to hold our train for us. And if you believe, the Bambino said, well, I'll take care of that. Next time up, bang, home run, game over. And the Yankees caught their train. So those are the kind of stories that have grown up around the babe. I thought I'd share a few of those on the Baseball Lifer podcast. If I can take one more minute to go back to Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, they were the best of friends when they made that record in 1927 that we heard earlier on. As a boy... Babe Ruth spoke German in his household, and so did Lou Gehrig. And when Gehrig took Babe Ruth home to meet his parents, the Babe made a real good impression on Mom Gehrig by addressing her and having a conversation with her in German. She took quite a liking to the Bambino, Before the friendship between Ruth and Gehrig ended, Babe had even bought a dog, a chihuahua puppy that he gave to Mom Gehrig. Before we close this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast, I'm going to let you hear Mel Allen, the voice of the Yankees, the legendary broadcasting voice on this recording made shortly after Babe Ruth's death. Mel Allen talks about Babe Ruth, the ball player, and Babe Ruth after baseball, the man Allen knew personally. So stand by, you'll be able to hear Mel Allen talking about Babe Ruth. You know, I didn't know Babe Ruth when he was a player, not personally. I knew him like the millions of fans did and worshipped him like all the kids in my neighborhood did. 
I dreamed of the day when I could see the babe play. And one summer, when I was just about 13, I traveled from my home in Alabama then to visit my grandparents in Detroit, and soon the Yankees came to town. It didn't take too much persuasion to get my father to take me to the Tiger Park, which was then known as Navin Field. My heart pounded inside with the realization that I was to see the babe in action. And then I prayed that he would hit a home run that day so that I would have something among my memories that I could cherish forever. But came the ninth inning and the babe had not hit a home run, and it didn't appear that he would have that chance, for the Tigers had a five-run lead, and babe had been at bat in the eighth. And the babe didn't figure too strongly on his getting another time at bat either because I saw him do something that only the babe could do. He came in from the outfield at the end of the eighth inning and went right by the Yankee dugout over to the Detroit dugout where the clubhouse runway was then located. But instead of going inside, he stopped and sat down on the Detroit bench while his teammates were batting in the top of the ninth. That was not allowed, of course, but the babe was different. Even the Tigers got a kick out of it. Only the babe could get away with something like that. The big fellow sat there joshing the Tigers when suddenly the Yankees began to rally, and before you knew it, the babe had to get up off the Tiger bench, go back to the Yankee dugout, put his glove down, get his bat. His turn was coming up after all. The babe stepped to the plate and with runners on the bases, slammed a line drive over the center field fence at its deepest point. The Yankees scored six runs to win the game, and the babe laughed heartily while giving it the inimitable Ruthian trot around the bases. That was the babe. Years later, I got to know him personally while broadcasting Yankee games. Many a time I accompanied him on appearances at high school sports affairs and other baseball gatherings with the kids whom he held so dear. Always he talked about kids, how much he'd like to be able to do for them. He really loved them. It was great to be around the big guy. It was tough being around him when his health began to fail. I had the privilege of introducing him at the Yankee Stadium in 1947 when Babe Ruth Day was celebrated throughout the baseball world. And the ear-splitting ovation given him by the thousands was something I shall never forget. And the tan, top-coated, graying babe thanked the throng in his now husky voice. And the old-timers with the lumps in their throats looking on that day. Guys like Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker and other baseball greats of the past were there to honor the greatest of them all. And the ailing babe was proud and happy. A fabulous fellow whose hold on everyone was magical and majestic. He was the king of SWAT, the king of diamonds, the babe. A few weeks ago at Yankee Stadium, I saw Babe for the last time. His uniform number three was to be retired forever in tribute to the Bambino. Many of his former Yankee teammates were there for the historic occasion. By now, the Babe was failing fast, but he beat back the pain that racked his body and appeared in the house that Ruth built for one more time. When William Harridge made the official retirement of the Babe's number and uniform, the crowd roared its acclamation of baseball's greatest hero. And while they were doing that, I walked over to the babe and asked if he wished to say anything. His voice now was almost completely gone. And the babe whispered, yes, I must. And then he stepped to the microphone at the Yankee Stadium and thanked the fans for the way they felt about him. A gaunt but gallant guy, thrilled by the roar of the crowd. The crowd thrilled and choked up by the sight of the man whose equal the world of sports will never again see. The babe was deeply touched and whispered his appreciation. There wasn't a dry eye anywhere. I'm sure there isn't now. That was Mel Allen talking about Babe Ruth on the Baseball Lifer podcast. And one thing I wanted to add to what Mel Allen had to say, the ballpark in Detroit that he described, Navin Field, became Briggs Stadium, and then it became Tiger Stadium. And that ballpark, which was built in 1912, 
closed at the end of the 1999 baseball season. On this episode of the Baseball Lifer podcast, we've been talking to you about Babe Ruth. Next week, we're going to have a guest, a friend of mine from my broadcasting days, Andy Young, is going to join us. So hopefully you'll come back for that. If you've got an idea for a subject for the Baseball Lifer podcast, send me a message at don at thebaseballlifer.com. Don at thebaseballlifer.com. You can give me any kind of a baseball subject, the team of your choice, the player or players of your choice. Let me know, and I'll be glad to have that topic as a subject for the Baseball Lifer. Until next week, this is Don Wardlow. See you next week.